Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It is probably one of my favorite holidays to celebrate. Um, I love Christmas, I love Easter, but uh, there's just something about Thanksgiving. I think part of it has to do uh, with the weather. Um, I mean, look at this last weekend that we've had. Isn't it been amazing? But often Thanksgiving, the weather is decent, and there's been a few times that uh, we've gone camping during the Thanksgiving weekend. And often just close by so that we could still attend church on Sunday morning. But while camping on Thanksgiving, we discovered a great way to roast turkey. So um, if you know anything about RVs, you know that their ovens are very small and it's hard to do a turkey in an RV oven. Uh, But we were told about garbage can turkey. So this is where you use briquettes and a galvanized garbage can. An 18-pound turkey, an hour and a half. No kidding. It's amazing. So we gave it a try, and uh, every time we've made it, it's been a success. And I can remember the very first time that we had tried it, uh, there were a lot of curious people in the campsite kind of stopping by and checking on us to see what was going on and what we were doing. And there was one elderly couple that stopped by, and they said, have you ever done this before? And I said, no, this is our first time. And she had said, well, what if it doesn't turn out? And I just kind of chuckled, and I said, I guess we're having craft dinner then. She said, no, 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 we wouldn't hear of it. If it's a flop, you come and have dinner with us. But didn't come to that. It turned out great. We actually even invited them to come and join us. But I think they were maybe still not quite 100% convinced about this garbage can thing. I've also always found Thanksgiving to be a little bit less stressful than some of the other holidays. There's not all of the decorating, the shopping, and the busyness that, that lead up to to other holidays for th- around Thanksgiving time. And so I feel that often I'm, I'm more able to kind of focus and be present and enjoy family time and, and time with friends. And one of the traditions that we started a few years ago was just to go around our table before we have our meal and just everyone to take a minute and talk about what they are most thankful for this past, the, during the past year. And so as I was thinking about celebrating this Thanksgiving weekend, it got me thinking about gratitude. And it got me thinking about two verses. The first verse from Philippians 2.14 where Paul writes, do everything without complaining and arguing. And then 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 where Paul writes, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Be thankful in all circumstances, in all things, no matter what. Seriously? Surely not every situation. And then yet we read again in Ephesians 5.20. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Let's be honest. That's a pretty tall order. And I have to admit that I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. And maybe some of you can relate to that as well. But I often struggle with this, especially when things aren't going according to plan uh, or, or dealing with a tough situation. I find myself thinking, you know what, this isn't fair. Why is this happening now? I don't have time for this. This is not how I pictured life going. God, why right now? And I know I'm not the only one. There are some from our own church family who this past year and even more recently in the past few weeks have been faced with some really difficult circumstances, one difficulty after another. And it would be hard to blame them for not feeling like giving thanks. 
and, and needing to vent or complain in some of these situations. And over the years, I've, I've seen both ends of the spectrum, those that grumble and argue and look for something or someone to blame, and they kind of sit there in that space. Um, and those who are struggling through difficult circumstances express this authentic joy and thanksgiving in the midst of their situation, focusing on God, focusing on his goodness, his faithfulness, and assured of his sovereignty and the hope that they have in him. It reminded me of a visit I had with my aunt. It was probably almost 23 years ago. Um, to, the, to this day has just left uh, a deep imprint on my life. My aunt was one of those people who uh, you would describe her as larger than life. She was a go-getter. She was an encourager. She had a deep love for Jesus and for people and for life in general. And in her mid-60s, she was diagnosed with ALS. And as she declined, we made a point of going to see her for regular visits. And uh, on our last, one of our last visits, just probably about two weeks before she passed away, Mom and I were sitting at her bedside, and we were updating her with news about family and friends and just life in general. And at this point, she was unable to walk, she was unable to speak, and she was unable to eat. But she still had just a slight use of, of her hands, just enough to point to something. And she had this letter wheel that had an arrow on it. And so when there was something that she felt she really needed to let somebody know, she would use the, move the arrow along, spelling out one word at a time. And I'll never forget, sorry, I get a little bit emotional of this even a few decades later, but I'll never forget near the end of our visit, she began moving the arrow around um, and pointing to one letter at a time, spelling out three words. And the words she spelt out were, God is good. This morning, I want us to take a closer look at these two verses and other verses that teach us how, we're, how we ought to live and conduct ourselves in all circumstances as followers of Christ, and how by submitting to the work of his Holy Spirit, allowing him to shape us and transform us, we can cultivate gratitude and a posture of thankfulness regardless of the situations that we find ourselves in. And to start, we simply need to look at the author of both these books, where these passages come from, the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words, and he was no stranger to hardship and difficult circumstances. He had endured beatings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, all of it for the sake of the gospel message. And even as he was writing the book of Philippians, he was sitting in prison. So while at first glance, while his words maybe seem like a little bit tough to swallow, you have to admit that knowing who wrote them and all that he'd been through gives him a little bit of credibility. At the very least, makes you stop and take notice and, and perhaps want to dig a little bit deeper into the how and why. Paul was a human being. He was just like us. He was just as flawed and broken as we are. So how was he able to live out life the way God was calling him and the way God calls each one of us to live? The book of Philippians is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And I think one of the reasons it, it's a favorite is because it's just a very uplifting and encouraging letter. In many of his letters to the churches, Paul often is writing to address moral failings or false teachings or disputes and disunity in these churches. And as far as we're aware, there's, there's no major issue in, uh, going on in Philippi. The church seems to be relatively healthy. Some commentaries refer to this letter as the letter of joy. It overflows with words of joy and encouragement. 
Paul is also encouraging the Philippians to a higher degree of living and serving. Living and serving in the light of who Christ is and all that he has done. Fixing their eyes on Jesus. Focusing on God on God and his plan and his purpose. And even after being unjustly imprisoned for four years, Paul states in the very first chapter of Philippians verses 12 to 14, the benefits of being in prison and how his imprisonment has actually advanced the gospel. He writes, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. And then further down in verse 18, he says, Because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice because I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And then in chapter 2, he moves on to talk about sacrificing and the need for us as believers to take on the mind of Christ. That as Christ followers, we are, to be, we are to imitate him in humility and in a servant mindset. And then in verse 12, he writes, Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Both verses, Philippians 2.14 and 1 Thessalonians 5.18, do everything without complaining and arguing. Be thankful in all circumstances Paul is describing the way in which God wants us to live. The Greek word for, for complaining is used only once in Paul's letters, but it's the same word used in the Greek Old Testament many, many times to describe the murmuring of the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. I'm not going to read through all of the passages that I've put on the sermon notes, but um, if you get a chance, take some time to read through those passages starting with Exodus 14. There is a lot, a lot of grumbling and complaining going on. And going on at a time when God was displaying his, his sovereignty, his power, and God was providing for his people. He was showing them that he was faithful and that he loved them. He brought them out of Egypt. They praised him and, and were grateful till they got to the Red Sea. And then they started grumbling and complaining again. And then God takes them through the Red Sea and they worship and rejoice, but then there's a lack of water. They complain, they finally find water, but the water's bitter. So God makes the, the water sweet. They drink it, they carry on, but now they're hungry. And what do they do? They start complaining again, over and over and over again. And, and it's not like there's this huge time gap between God providing from, for them and they're complaining. In some cases, it's only a matter of a couple of days. So it's not like they forgot what God had just done for them a couple of days ago. And we get a pretty clear picture of how God feels about complaining. 
We read about their complaining and how they rebel again in Numbers 14. I, I don't think I have that passage in the notes, but um, I think we heard a little bit about this during our summer series. This is where, uh, just after Moses has sent the 12 scouts out to explore the land of Canaan, and they come back with the report, and, and most of them are reporting, uh, this: we cannot take this land. It can't be done. These guys are giants. They're huge. There's no way it's going to happen. And then verse 1 to 2 um, in Numbers 14 This is how the people respond. The whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. They questioned why God would rescue them, only to take them to this new land and have them die in battle. And and so they're complaining, and they're grumbling, and they begin planning and plotting to choose a new leader. And further on in verse 26, we get a pretty clear picture again of of how God feels about complaining and arguing. He's done. He's had enough. And he says this to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? And so he punishes the Israelites by telling them that they're going to get exactly what they've been complaining about. So all those that were 20 years of, of age and older were punished by, they would die in the wilderness. They would not get to enter the promised land with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. Their doubts and their complaining caused their hearts to harden and turn away from God. We read in Psalm 95, which is a reminder to those who are doubting, that God is still in control. He is the king of kings. He is the God above all other gods. And in the psalm, he reminds those who doubt to not harden their hearts or turn away from him like Israel had in the wilderness. They had tried and tested his patience, even though they had seen everything that he had done. Their grumbling and complaining caused them to turn away from God, to lose sight of who he was and all that he had done and promised to do. And the more that they complained and argued, the more they lost sight of the truth. You know, we can read through these passages and shake our heads and think, what a bunch of dummies. Yet I think we need to ask ourselves, would we have done things differently? I need to ask myself, would would I have responded differently? Would I have been any better in those circumstances? Are we any better when we face difficult situations or circumstances today? And I I didn't have to think too long about this um, This past week, I was faced with a few frustrations and some challenges and um, did not do a very good job of practicing what I'm preaching right now. I had to actually go and apologize to a couple of people. And I, I just had caught myself in these situations starting to grumble and complain and be frustrated and to be angry and I kind of wanted just to sit there and wallow in that and the longer I sat and wallowed in it the it it, it just it spiraled it got worse so I had to stop and I had to ask God for forgiveness and I had to ask God to give me the strength to fill my heart and my mind with joy and with gratefulness to focus on him not easy There are a couple of big problems with grumbling and complaining. And one is that it can be contagious. It doesn't take much, uh, and, and some of you know this, it doesn't take much to start complaining about something or someone, 
and then someone else joins in, and then another person joins in, and all of a sudden you've got this whole grumbling and complaining party going on, and it's out of control. And the problem is, it doesn't build up. It tears down. It destroys. It's a dangerous and slippery slope. And the other problem is that complaining and arguing cannot coexist with joy and gratitude. It just doesn't happen. It can't happen. We can't complain and then live with joy. And if you live with joy, you're not a complainer. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face hardships or difficulties. To, to expect life to go smoothly without any trials or tribulations, it's, it's not going to happen. It's unrealistic. As followers of Christ Jesus, he himself who endured so much on our behalf tells us to expect those hard times. He says it to his disciples in Matthew 16. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. There's going to be tough times. There's going to be bumps and rough patches along the way, and sometimes it's going to be for a long stretch. Most of you know that. Many of you have experienced that. And some of you are sitting in that right now. It's about perspective and where our focus is. I think of the worship song by Matt Redman, Blessed Be Your Name. And throughout that song, he, he goes from one verse to the next, one about the good times and one about the tough times. And in all those circumstances, still being able to say, Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Sometimes our life may seem to be defined by loss or lack. And by allowing those things to define us and have a front row seat in our life, it can often lead to ungratefulness. And as I said, it's a downward spiral where we eventually lose sight of truth and why we're here. The more we allow ourselves to be ungrateful, the more our eyes are closed to the truth. We need to change our perspective to change the outlook of our purpose in life from it being all about us to it being all about God and his purpose. What is God's purpose for us? Paul lays it out in the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, love one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. As Christ followers, we're called to be imitators of Christ, to have that same attitude and mindset, an attitude of humility and a servant mindset. We're called to be a light in a dark world, to shine brightly, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. In Isaiah 49, the prophet writes that God will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. And then further on in Philippians 4, Paul talks about how we're to be full of joy in the Lord, to let everyone see that we are considerate 
in all we do, let our gentleness be evident to all, remembering that the Lord is coming soon. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate a life of gratitude and thanksgiving? We've already determined that doing all things without grumbling and arguing and in every situation giving thanks is a tall order. And when we're experiencing those tough days and situations and not feeling so very thankful, we're not being asked to suppress those thoughts and feelings. We're not being told to, to suppress the, the frustration, the anger. Um, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset, to be angry. Um, we're not to try and pretend those things away. That's not healthy. We acknowledge that it's hard. We acknowledge that we struggle, but we don't camp out there. When we find ourselves grumbling and complaining in the midst of tough times, we stop we confess, we ask God for his forgiveness, we ask God for his help, and we shift our focus not onto our current circumstances, but onto him. And the reality is we can't do that on our own, and we weren't meant to. God's given us his Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us. In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He tells the disciples that if they love him, obey his commandments, and he'll ask the Father who will give them another advocate, one who will never leave them, his Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you, he says. When we do that, when we submit to the Spirit's work in our lives, he gives us the strength and the courage to focus on what matters. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he goes, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, in comparison to what awaits us, they're small and they're not going to last long. They produce for us a glory that outweighs everything else and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now, but we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. The things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We're, we are to charge every moment, every breath that we take with the hope that we profess and cling to. We pursue God and explore his character. The more that we pursue him, the more we know him, and the more we know him and understand how much he loves us, the more we love him and trust him with our lives. When we realize and understand the magnitude of what God has done for us, gratitude becomes the natural position of our hearts. We come to know God and understand him and his character and his plans and purpose for our lives by spending time with him digging into his word, spending time with him in prayer on a daily basis. His word shows us that how we ought to live and the direction he wants us to go. The psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And finally, we cultivate gratitude and thanksgiving through community. And what an amazing community we have. We do that by sharing life together, serving one another, serving together, growing together. We do that by encouraging each other, spurring one another on, and reminding one another that we're not alone. We cultivate gratitude and thanksgiving by sharing our stories. Stories that remind us of who God is, that he is at work, and that he is a faithful God. 
I was reminded of a story of my son Ryan's first year at CBC, and so this week I had texted him and I said, um, would it be okay if I share that story on Sunday morning? And he texted back and he said, yeah, sure, no problem. And he said, thanks, I guess I owe you $5. One of the traditions or things that we had started back when I first started in ministry was that if I was going to use my kids in a sermon illustration, they would get $5. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I owe you five bucks. And so then he responded and he says, well, mom, that was back in elementary school. We need to adjust for inflation, and if it rises with the housing market, we're looking at a solid $25. He's getting turkey dinner today, so I think he's good. But Ryan had played basketball all through his school years, and when he graduated, he was offered a spot on, this, on Columbia Baba College basketball team, and he was so excited to be playing college ball. He had experienced a pretty rough year, his last year in high school, and so to see him so excited and back to his old self was just amazing for, for Lauren and I as parents. Uh, we were just so happy for him. And then in a preseason game, he blew out his ankle. The doctor told him his recovery time would have been much faster if he had actually broken the ankle. He said the ankle was sprained so bad that he was out for the season. He was devastated, and his parents, we were so worried. We were worried that he was just going to shut down. And um, so um, a week into hobbling along the campus and crutches, we met up with him just to check in on him and make sure he was doing okay. And he said, I am so blown away by what's been happening this past week. And we're like, what's been going on? And when he started at the college, other than some of the basketball players, he really didn't know anyone there and he said, I'd be walking along or, or cr crutching along <laughs> to classes and random people would stop him in the hallways or on his way to class and just say, can, can I pray for you? Can we pray for you? And all of a sudden there'd be people with hands on him and praying for him. He'd go into the cafeteria and somebody would grab a tray, get his food for him, bring his food for him. And he was just, it, it impacted him in such a powerful way. And I remember him saying, he said, Mom, if I was going to be injured anywhere, I'm so grateful that it was here in this community with these people. And then his third year at CBC, he made this comment. He said, in the beginning, I was a basketball player attending a Bible school. He says, now I'm a Bible school, Bible school student who plays basketball. I believe that sharing our stories with one another as a community of believers is just so important. And so this morning as we wrap up, I want to invite Matt Cleaver and Grant Wilson to come on up. I've asked them just to, I, I thought it would be great for us to hear about how God has been at work in their lives. And so we're going to ask them just to each take a couple of minutes to share. And then I'll, uh, I'll pray for us. Who's going first? Uh, well, this seems rather ironic. I also work at CBC <laughs> and was going to get up here and talk about this fancy bionic leg I just got fitted with. Uh, for some of the, like, very similar, I work in, uh, in a department where a lot of my role is taking students on wilderness excursions. And in the first week, this year blew out my knee. I still don't really know what's wrong with it. The medical system is being patient, is I think the nice way to say it. But I got this cool looking bionic leg, which has allowed me to function 
kind of, since Friday. But it's been cool, I don't know, a new take on Paul's words around boasting and weakness, like not even just being thankful, but actually going as far as boasting and weakness. And it's been fascinating the places I've been this year that I wouldn't have otherwise been and the interactions I've had that I wouldn't have otherwise had. It, it just reminds me, I'm assuming everybody has memories like this where, where you remember these things whether you want to or not because of the impression they left on you. And years ago I had a, a similar issue where medical stuff took me out of life for a little while and had a friend give me a note and in the note she just said, said a few other things but the main thing was I'm, I'm so interested to see what it is that God has demanded your attention for. And it was this, like, I was not pleased with my circumstances, but her take on it, the, the curiosity, the fascination of, of maybe, maybe God has something so important to say to you that he is not just asking for you to pay attention, he's demanding your attention. And that memory has just stuck with me in a very powerful way when, whenever stuff like this happens now, it's like, okay, here it comes. I, my ears are open. My journal is open. Like, what, what do you have for me? Because clearly I needed to be in a better position to listen than I already was. So, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a cool thing to think of this as an invitation from God to pay attention rather than a disturbance from the good work that he called me to. So, yeah, it, it's been a, a fascinating journey that way and has led to some... Like, I never would have been interacting with this physiotherapist. I never would have been on campus to have these conversations that I've been having with students. So it's led to some really cool things that I, like you said, it's not a, I need to, I need to will myself into being thankful. It's, there's genuinely, when, when I'm paying attention, there's genuinely amazing things to be grateful for, and it, I don't have to manufacture it. I just have to be paying attention. I think I'm like others, when, when you're asked to focus on things that you're thankful for, you start thinking, well, how does it work with thankfulness? I start looking at my family, start looking at my wife. But I thought, um, after I'd been asked, I thought, I, what, am, what am I thankful for specifically for me? Um, not so much how my family's been impacted or Karen. Um, recently, I've, I started a new job. And where I was before, there was a, a fair number of, of church-going Christian guys. So it was easy to be a Christian. Where I am now is absolutely not that way. Um, I work with, with a lot of, how shall we say it, nice men, but I don't want to say good men, because they're not good men. Um, they will, you know, they'll work hard, they'll go to work but I'm, myself and, and one other guy, we're a couple of Christian guys working in this environment, and we're the exception to the rule all of a sudden. So we've talked once in a while about how, in some ways, being a Christian in that environment is easier because you're under scrutiny. So there's certain things you just don't do. I mean, you're... For me personally, I'm much more conscious of, you know, how I present myself, what I do, how I work. And 
for me, that has been a big blessing, and I'm very thankful for it because it has had to make me more focused on how I relate to God in my personal relationship with him. And I, a big part of it, too, was, you know, I didn't want to go too far back because, well, stuff happens. So I, I thought, let's focus on a year. My year has been up and down. I wasn't really planning on talking about my mom, but what do you do? So it's been, you know, some awesome stuff has happened in this last year. And, well, not that actually, <laughs> it's weird to say my mom passing actually wasn't a low point. It was a high point, because I know where she is. So then I'm looking at going forward, where do we go? What kind of blessings do you have in your life? Well, work is work, right? So you go to work every day. But I've been um, asked to lead a small group of, I'm going to call them silver-haired saints. I'm super excited about it. Um, Just being with, with these folks that have wisdom and knowledge and life experience. I've got a little bit of gray, but they have a lot of gray. And who do you not want to be around? Well, I want to be around people who have walked with Christ, lived with Christ, and had that influence in their life for so long and have that blessing put into my life. And how can I not be thankful for that? Thanks, guys. Let me just pray, and while I'm praying, I invite the worship team to come on up and lead us in a closing song. God, you are sovereign God. You are king of kings, God above all other gods, and you are a good father who delights in caring and loving on and and providing for his children. So we thank you that even in the midst of of tough, difficult times, we thank you that there are good gifts that you have waiting for us. And, And it's a good reminder as we share our stories with each other too that sometimes you stop us to get our attention. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are at work, on the move in this world. And I just pray as we get ready to face a new week, Father, as we walk through these doors, out into the community, into our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Whatever circumstances we face, Father, I just pray that your spirit would continue to do a work in us, transforming us, shaping us, that you would do a work in our hearts and that we would experience unbelievable joy and peace. And in that experience, that that we would be able to shine brightly in our community and the world around us so that the gospel message could be proclaimed and that the name of Jesus could be lifted high. Ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.